Good morning, church. This uh, past week, we had um, three of our saints uh, enter into the glory. Uh, Norb Fisher, um, whose services were Saturday. Uh, Norb and his wife, Jenny, she preceded him in death. Um, They were the first couple to be married here on this site some, I don't know how long ago it was, 100 years or so ago. Uh, They were married here. And then uh, Joyce Dill, um, the um, wife of the deceased um, Phil Dill, local veterinarian, passed away uh, this morning. And then um, also um, Tilly Parker uh, passed away on Friday. Uh, Tilly was 103 years old. And uh, just all three of them, just incredible people. So glad I got to be part of their journey and uh, just Pray for their families, would you? And it's a season of loss and, and for them. So let's remember them in prayer. Today we're going to talk about um, the best known of, of all the prophets. If you have your Bibles, uh, open them up to Daniel chapter 3. So while Daniel is considered a, a prophet, his story is different than the others that we've been studying. Uh, Daniel didn't have a, a public ministry of preaching Uh, to the Israelites. Uh, Daniel is more of a story. It's the story of of a young Hebrew and his three friends, Shadrach, uh, Meshach, and Abednego. And they are carried away as as captives by the Babylonian Empire around the 6th century B.C. And some of our favorite books, some of our favorite stories in the Bible come from the book of Daniel. But we also find some important prophecies in the book as well. In fact, the prophecies of Daniel are so specific and they are so accurate that some scholars believe they must have been written like in the 2nd century B.C. because of that. But what we learn from this book is how a person of faith can survive and even thrive and make an impact in a strange and pagan culture that sometimes is hostile to a life of faith. And so I think it's important that we have a plan. What's gonna, what are you going to do when your faith is challenged? I mean, I love to have plans. I have a plan for everything. I haven't planned out my funeral yet, but I pretty much got everything else set in stone. And you need to have a plan. It's important. Let's say, for example, that you're shopping at Kroger's, and you've got a cart full of groceries, and, you're, and you're, you're heading towards your car, and all of a sudden you run into a mountain lion. You ever thought about that? What are you going to do? Do you have a plan in place? Do you know? Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to give you four choices to choose from. Here's the first one. Do you run? Secondly, do you play dead? Thirdly, do you open up your coat and make yourself look really loud and, and, and yell at the mountain lion? Or, third, or fourthly, do you, do you turn to him and sing a gentle, happy hymn to him? Turn to your neighbor and just say, which is the right choice? Just take a moment. Which is the right choice? All right. Did somebody down here say shoot him? Did did I hear somebody say that? Okay. That's not a bad idea either. Well, the correct answer is, Number three, open up your coat, make yourself really big, and and shout at them. Now you know. Now you've got a plan. Now you're ready the next time that a mountain lion shows up at Kroger's in Anderson. 
But the point I'm making is that you never know when life will throw you a curve. You never know what's lurking around the corner. You never know when you might be called upon to make a life or death decision with your actions. But when you are called, you need to know what to do. Let's look at our story beginning in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come up to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you're commanded to do, O peoples and nations of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, the lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall, fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now, it's hard to know exactly why Nebuchadnezzar had this huge idol built. Uh, some people speculate that he's trying to create a, a unified society. He's got an empire full of different cultures and, and languages and, 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 and racial groups, and he, he's trying to unite them uh, under one, one kind of thing, a, a, a one religion. And so he decides that all of these diverse people need in Babylon is some unity, something that will hold them together so that his kingdom is not vulnerable and split apart by all the different divisions. And so how much better way to create unity than by a common religion? And so he makes the statue. Now what the statue represents or stands for is kind of vague. We're not really told. I think maybe deliberately vague because the truth is this is not really about religion at this point. It's really about politics and it's about power. And so he's going to create some oneness and, and he invests a lot of effort into motivating the people to go along. It's a remarkable statue, some 90 feet tall and, and made of gold. So it's an object of immense value. And so the people make a pilgrimage out to the plain of Dura, outside of, of the city of Babylon. And there they see gather the most impressive uh, group of leaders from all these different nations and, and cultures ever assembled. And if that's not enough to compel people to bow down, then Nebuchadnezzar decreed that failure to comply meant that you would be thrown into this blazing furnace to be burned alive. And so picture this. Moment, a vast assembly of countless people from all types of tribes and tongues, and they've never seen anything like this before. And then the music starts, and the people are highly motivated to bow down. Literally, in verse 7, it says, As soon as they were hearing, they were falling. So it's kind of like a race to see who can hit the ground first. But then through the crowd, there's this ripple of noise. And it's kind of quiet at first, but but eventually they were able, able to hear it, even over the music. And finally, nobody is looking at the statue of gold anymore. People are looking at three people who are still standing, everybody else kneeling, worshiping this golden idol, except for these three. 
Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. In the midst of this groveling nation, an act that looks like either monumental courage or suicidal folly, they refuse to bend the knee. They refuse to bow their heads. Nobody there has much doubt about what the outcome will be. For these men had powerful enemies. Look at verse 8. At this time, some astrologers came forward and they denounced the Jews. That word denounce, same word as as slandered, and it's intended by the writer to convey this, this hostility, this intense hostility. These astrologers and these bureaucrats have been placed under Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and they're consumed with jealousy that these foreigners would be ruling over them. And so this is their chance to bring them down. Verse 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the pipes, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, You'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to deliver you from my hand? Now this last statement is a rhetorical question. When a speaker asks a rhetorical question, he or she, they're not looking for information. They're just making a point. It's like when a parent says to their child, hey, do you want to be grounded? Okay. That's, that's a rhetorical question. They're not looking for information from the child. You know, so the child doesn't say, no, well, I was going to play my Xbox, but if you have in mind being grounded, okay, I can go along with that. It's, it's rhetorical. And so when Nebuchadnezzar asks, what God can deliver you from my hand, he, he's not looking for information. He's not saying, you know, like, like, well, like what's the name of your God? He's, he's saying, you better understand, there's no escape. There's no way out. I don't care what God that you worship. No one is coming to your rescue. But much to the surprise, these three men don't treat it as a rhetorical question. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. I want us to take just a moment and unpack this remarkable statement of faith. Our God is able to save us from the furnace. Our God is able to rescue us from danger. Our God is able to deliver us from your hand, O King. Our God is able. I don't know if it's, if it's possible for followers of, of God to spend too much time reflecting on stories that, that teach this one truth, and that is the God that you and I serve, that God is able. The God who convenes us here in this room today, this God is able. Folks, I've been a Christ follower for 47 years, and during that time I have witnessed firsthand the God who is able in my life and in some of your lives as well. 
Our God is able. And, you know, I think we could spend the rest of the day going around this room one by one, each of us sharing stories of when God was able. The God we serve is able to, to reconcile broken marriages. And he's done that for marriages here in this room. The God we serve is, is able to liberate people from addictions. And, and we've seen that here. People in this room have been delivered from addictions. The God we serve is able to, to heal damaged bodies. The God we serve is able to forgive us of our worst sins. The God that we serve is able to provide for the greatest need, able to guide with, with supernatural wisdom, able to inspire spiritual gifting beyond human ability in unbelievable ways, able to soften the hardest heart, able to bring the farthest runaway prodigal back home. The God we serve is able. And everybody in this room here, by your physical presence and by your spiritual hunger and, and, and by your, your uh, presence here in this community, you are living testimony to the truth that our God is able. The God we serve is able. Say these three men, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. But they don't stop there. I want to look at another statement of devotion because I think it's one of the most powerful statements that any human being has ever made. I want you to think for a moment about what led up to this moment in their lives. These three young Hebrew men who are captured and exiled to a foreign country. And they give their lives to God and, and they serve Him as best they can with incredible courage. Amazing things happen and they are uh, uh, promoted to positions of prominence in Babylon. But then one day they hear about the king's command that, that all people must bow down and worship this, gold, this God of gold that he has created. And so they meet together and, and, and they decide, you know what, it's unthinkable, we can't do it. There's no way that we're going to bend our knee to this idol of gold. We're not going to bend our knee and worship anything except the God of heaven and earth. And maybe they prayed that day that, that the king would relent or the decree wouldn't be enforced. Or maybe that they'd be excused from this, but they weren't. And maybe they prayed that day that, that, that when it came time that nobody would notice when they failed to worship the idol. Or that if people did notice that they wouldn't say anything. But they did. Not one of these prayers was answered. Not one. And I can imagine at this point that these three men are bitterly disappointed. At every point, the nightmare, their death by fire, grew a, a little closer to reality. And at this point, they began to realize that every avenue of escape has been closed to them. That the door has been shut in their face and locked and double bolted. Verse 17. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But now listen to this. Verse 18. But even if he does not, even if he does not, so don't be deceived. Our God can rescue us still. The God who drowned Pharaoh's armies and fell Jericho's walls and, and dropped Goliath with a single stone. That God has lost none of his strength. Our God is able still. But even if he doesn't, we have already decided our response. We have made up our minds, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods and we are not going to worship this image of gold 
that you have set up. Friends, God is able to answer your deepest prayers and to fulfill your, your fondest dream. But what if he does not? What do we do then? Is my faith dependent on getting from God what I want? What about when God does not give us what we want? This past week, I've been, been reading Job. <laughs> his friends have, have betrayed him. He's lost his family. He's lost his home. He's lost his wealth. He's suffering terribly. No explanation from God about what's going on. And then he says, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. And I think of Esther who, like these three men, decided that she was going to have to confront a king on behalf of the people of God, even though it can mean death. And she says, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. I've heard people say, you know, God answered this one prayer. Grant this one request. Come through on this one, God, and I, I promise I'll serve you. I'll spend the rest of my life doing wonderful things for you. But what if God doesn't come through? What then? What then? Will you still have faith in God? Maybe today you're facing a, a major health uh, issue, and you're asking for a miracle. Folks, God is able. Maybe your marriage is crumbling, and you're asking God to save it. God is able. And maybe you're facing a huge financial crisis and, and you're asking God to save it. God is able. But the question for us today is, is, what will you decide in your heart even if he does not? Will you still choose to trust him and honor him? Will you say, even though the music is, is playing, the crowd is watching, I will not bend the knee to this idol of gold? Now, I don't know what it means for you. I know that personally from day to day, far, far too often the truth is that if my day goes well and I get everything that I, that I want and all my circumstances break right, that I'm praising God. <laughs> but if things don't go so well and the things I prayed for aren't answered, I start grumbling at God. Sometimes I find myself getting closer to the furnace I start feeling the heat. And in those moments sometimes, I'm tempted to bend the knee to the God of self-absorption, the God of, of self-interest, the God of self-pity. I love the God of self-pity. <laughs> Nothing feels better than self-pity, amen? Because, friends, the name of that gold statue that we're tempted to bow down and worship has a name. And that name is me with a capital M. You see, ultimately one day, you're going to bow down either before that statue or you're going to bow down before God. And so today I want to challenge all of us to a higher level of, of faith. Uh, to be like Jesus, who in the night in which he was betrayed out in the garden, said, Father, let this cup pass from me. Do not make me go through this. Spare me, God, the suffering that I see in my immediate future. But then said, not my will, but your will be done. 
You are able to spare me, but even if you do not, I will not turn away. I will drink this cup to the very last drop. God is able. And so faith under fire means trusting God and his word. Faith does not mean that we get it all figured out. It doesn't mean that we either know or understand what God's specific purpose in, in our lives may be. But faith means this. It means a, a willingness, a desire to love him, to trust him, to obey him, to follow him wherever that leads, whatever that purpose may be. Faith means day in and day out, in my good times and in my bad times, I can say the God that I serve is able. And even if he doesn't, I will never serve your God's. We'll tell you a secret, friends. You and I, we, we live in Babylon. We live in a world that will try to tempt us and will intimidate us into settling for less than God's best. My friends, this is your one and only life. So what will you resolve in your heart today to do? What's the plan that you have for when you encounter this? Well, you all know the rest of the story. The three men are thrown into the furnace. But God protects them from the flames to the extent that when they walk out, their clothes don't even smell like smoke. And the king looks into that blazing furnace and he says, how many people did I throw in there? I thought I put in three. But I see the fourth one in there and his appearance is like that of the Son of God. Who? Is that? Who do you think it was? I pray that God give us all courage. God give us courage in that time of testing. Let's pray. God give us courage. Give us a deeper trust in you so that when life throws it's challenges. Yeah, God, the big ones, but also those small ones. When we are tempted, God, and those small ones to think no one's watching, no one's looking. Give us the courage, God, to stand for you and to bow the knee to no one except to our Lord and our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.